This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. John Anderson's life reads like an adventure novel. This three-sport athlete has traveled the world competing in various facets of strength and performance. But he's best known for dominating each arena using what he calls the deep water method. It's not only how he's lived and succeeded in sport, but how he views his own competitive spirit. Here John discusses what he calls the governor of his training, that which dictates how hard to push. Also, how much protein does a pro bodybuilder at 275 need to consume just to maintain mass? The number is alarming. John claims to not have had a carb in years and says that his reliance on high-protein diet simply works for him. Wellborn and Anderson go on to reminisce about Bob Sapp and offer their tips for achieving greatness. This is truly a packed episode of inspiration and a close look at the life cycle of a gifted lifter. And not only that, we're offering you, our listeners, a chance at a free download of John's publication, Deep Water. The first 5,000 people to sign up using the form attached to this blog post on www.powerathletehq.com will get John's ebook free of charge. This offer is only for a short time, so sign up now. This is episode 157. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? It's that time again for the world's or best strength and conditioning podcast. What are we, premier? Uh, I like most, premier. I like okay. premier. The most premier podcast in strength and conditioning. You are here with me, Luke Summers, out in Southern California. I'm sitting next to here, John Wellborn, the big man. And then in D.C., we have Tex. Say, Tex. I, I'm Tex. I was not in Texas, huh? <laughs> uh, that's the irony. He is uh he's from Texas, but he's in DC. So Texas. I love it. I love it, baby. I always wonder when he goes back to Texas, what do you say? You're like, hey, I'm Tex. That raspy voice on the other end of the line is our man John Anderson. If you don't know this guy, like he he's got a wide angle webcam and he can't fit his traps in it. It's fucking perfect. Uh <laughs> he got stung by a bunch of bees. <laughs> Don't give away my secrets. <laughs> but uh, if you go Google John Anderson now, I mean, uh, it's not the one with the Owen because that guy's like a cellist or something. <laughs> he is a, I think he's the goddamn singer from the group, yes. <laughs> uh, I think that's actually true. And, um, yeah. and the funny part was when we were doing some Googling, I actually had to go down and watch a couple of the yes uh, uh, YouTube videos. <laughs> I love that group. I was a Little League player. Yes was the shit, baby. <laughs> if you don't know who John Anderson is, this guy is a bodybuilder, professional wrestler, power lifter. I mean, dude is engrossed in shaking plates and moving iron. So it's an honor to have you on the show, John. Welcome. Right on, baby. Thank you for having me. Well, let's do this. Let's just start out with the formalities, man. Uh, give us your background, not the three-hour version that I, I, you know, I saw on uh, on Mark Bell's strength. Uh, YouTube video. It's like the old uh, five, ten minute version. Where are you from? Uh, what happened? How you back? You want me to start this bitch? Uh, you want me to start one. back when, when I was searching for my goals in the bottom of the ice cream containers? You want me to go to where I actually started to find how to pull it off? Yes. Both. Right 
<clears throat> okay. Um, so basically, as, as a kind of a young, chubby, fat kid, I knew I had, I knew I wanted to do great things, but I had no clue to do it. That I finally, through, you know, obviously growth and everything else, you know, with, with proper mentors, I finally recognized that <clears throat> there was a level of commitment and hard work that was not really widespread. And I am definitely, uh, this is way back before we had all these initials for problems, but you know, I'm a dyslexic son of a bitch. I've got every abbreviation with ADD and HED all put together. So I was able to use that to my advantage <clears throat> and create a work ethic that was really unmatched. And so uh, basically the work, ethic, the work ethic was there and I recognized what I could do when I worked harder than everybody else. <clears throat> I think what probably the missing, well, I shouldn't say probably, the absolute missing part of the equation was how to support that hard work and long, you know, long time in the gym with nutrition. Because, you know, at those times, there wasn't a lot of information floating around out there. You know, you see on TV, eat wheat, you know. So, you know, I'm going to the fucking grocery store. And I'm buying, I'm buying loaves of wheat bread. I'm, I'm fucking sitting there. How old are you? Uh, how old are you? 40, 44 right now. Okay. okay. And so I'm going to, you know, high school, you know, at senior year, I'm sitting down with all my buddies eating fucking loaves of wheat bread. They're looking at me, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, I, I was under the understanding wheat was building muscle. So fuck man, If it was, if that commercial had said dog shit builds muscle, I'd have been eating turds. You know, <laughs> so then it went to, you know, you, you know, it's all the bullshit on TV, whatever the lobbyists are pushing. So long and short of it, somewhere along the lines, I think it was probably because I didn't have what I needed. I ate a bunch of tuna fish and I recognized that that step, that period where I was eating the tuna fish was very different than when I was eating all the fucking wheat bread. And so I started tying two and two together that, hey, this, is, this has got some, this, this protein, there's something to this. So I started going over the top of protein. Um, and I'm, I'm a black or white. You put me in the gray and I'm lost as a motherfucker. So when, you, when I started eating wheat bread, I was eating wheat bread. When I started eating protein, I was eating protein. And so long and short of it, I was eating, whatever I choose to eat, I ate so much of it, there's not a lot of room for anything else. So I was just consuming I mean, literally, every little bit of protein I get my hands on. <clears throat> and so once that started to happen, that's when the magic really started to play. And then all of the efforts, you know, the three, three and a half, four-hour stints in the gym I was doing as a youngster was actually being supported with the building blocks that I needed to actually get stronger. I remember one summer, I got so strong. And it was because that was the summer that I had stumbled across tuna fish. And so, obviously, I was just smart enough to realize that tuna fish was only one form of protein. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I just started sucking down. And, and, uh, so, what are, what are these three hours, like, when you say youngster, are you, what are you, 15, 16, 20? No, by that time, I probably had, I probably had skipped forward to, to college because okay. really, I really went to college because it was a way for my parents for me to pay for me to go to the gym. <laughs> I was going to a really expensive Catholic school, and uh, you know it was. It's basically my mom. She knew what she had. She, I wanted to go to a big state school with all my buddies. She's like, not going to happen, you know. Yeah. 
And it's probably good because I would have got pulled off track. So she stuck me in a school with, it was just about the same size as my high school. And, uh, you know, they, you know, there was no good looking chicks there, but they had, you know, a killer weight room and that's all I needed. So, I mean, I would literally, I would design my, um, class schedule so that I could get up in the morning, eat breakfast, get my classes out of the way eat lunch, take a nap, and I had the afternoon to train. So, I mean, I would be in that gym. I mean, Jesus Christ. Sometimes, like I said, three, four hours a day, man. It was like I literally could like – I mean, it was probably in my mind. Well, maybe a little bit of both. But, I mean, I could literally feel myself getting better and stronger with the time that I spent. So, you know, any creature on the fucking planet, you put an X – and you get back X plus, you're going to keep going back to the well. And uh, <clears throat> looking back, there's no question in my mind, I was way overtrained. But that's really what turned me into who I am because I adapted over the course of <clears throat> years of training by myself without a mentor to these long, hard, brutal workouts. And, uh, and one of the things that people don't understand is that, I mean, if you put like it, a little off topic, but you put yourself, look at like you, you find people that are starving to death and it's crazy how long they can go in these like deadly circumstances because their body finds a way to adapt. So you put yourself in a circumstance where you can thrive, it'll adapt the same way. You just got to have the fucking nuts and the goddamn discipline to fucking keep it going because I mean, I would burn through training partners. People, once I started to really catch fire, people wanted a piece. I'd come on, let's go, you know? And, it, and if I had a training partner for a month, that'd be pretty good because these motherfuckers had no clue what they were signing up for. And that pretty much stretched my whole goddamn career. I've been training now, like seriously, this year marks the 30-year mark, three fucking decades. And it's never stopped. I mean, my training methods have been long, and they've been intense, and they are all based around doing shit that forces you to adapt, period. You know, I mean, if it's, if it's something like, you know, five sets of five, fuck, anybody can do that. I don't give a shit about that. You know, maybe if it's going to be five sets of five, well, you know, let's do five sets of five with some fucking ungodly heavy weight. That makes sense in my mind. Doing five sets of five with 70% of your max, what the fuck are you doing? You know? John what, John, what were your training goals at this stage in your lifting career? Were you, you know, just fighting for more? That's, you know, it's interesting because I was, I was one of those people who knew that I wanted to be this big, strong motherfucker, but I didn't really know where I was going to go with it, if that makes sense. You know, I didn't – I just knew – it was like a vortex. I was being sucked that direction. And I figured once I got in there, I'd figure out what I was going to do with it. But that was a big question in my mind, too. I knew for sure I did not want to get out of college and go get a fucking job. You know, so I had to figure out how was I going to take this and turn it into a fucking living. And I was, let me tell you, I am a mama's boy to the fucking, to the hilt. So I had to do this in a way that was going to get my mom's approval, which was a son of a bitch, let me tell you. I mean, she used to look at me and say, you know, when are you going to be normal again? You know, my... Two older brothers, about as normal as can be. One of my oldest brother actually was a uh, professional tennis player. I mean, so talk about, you know, a proud mom, Jesus Christ. The tennis player for a mom, you know, he actually played in a, the, 
he was a pro for a stint. He played the clay courts over in uh, Europe. You know, that was an athlete that she was proud of, not this fucking guy that was swelling up in the neck, you know? <laughs> so um, the only thing that she really dug about it was I was a fat kid. And so, and I had all sorts of eating issues. And so this, all this gym time had turned that around. So she liked that, but you know, she knew me well enough to know that I take everything too far and was just wondering when was I going to take these efforts and apply it to something that was going to help my life. She just didn't kind of, I mean, of course, how would a, how would a mother understand what the fuck I was doing? You know, Christ, my dad didn't understand, you know? So it was, I, I guess to answer your question, that was my goal. I wanted to be a big, I wanted to be the biggest, the strongest motherfucker you could ever see, but I didn't know really where I was going to end up with. So I was training, I was eating, I was getting big and I was getting strong. That was enough at that time. So John, you mentioned a couple, uh, a couple times mentors. So you're, you're, you're mentorless at this point, like you said, kind of just finding X and going and doing it. 10x because you're you keep getting these redeeming qualities and what when did you hit that point when did you find the mentor who was it what did they teach you how did it how did it change the trajectory that you were on you know that's a good question because i i don't think i really never found a mentor um until i actually was in in an actual sport because i mean who was going to mentor me when i was doing everything so different nobody had a fucking clue what i was doing you know like uh like on a squat day, even at like a 20-year-old, I put 405 in the bar. How many times could I squat it? It wasn't five cents a five, you know? So these people that could have been my mentor, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? I'm over here and I'm doing it, you know? I mean, what you're doing is a piece of fucking cake. Of course, I wouldn't say that to them depending on who they were and what level of respect I had for them, but realistically, I didn't get a mentor. I didn't actually have any real guidance until I got into the sport of strongman and started traveling with these guys who had been, you know, true strength athletes for years. Then I started really soaking up the information like uh, Mark Phillippe, um, you know, Gillingham brothers. They were, they were great because they were, um, they, when I first got in, they were kind of the older crew. Um, and uh, another one, rest his soul, was actually Jesse Morunde was, uh, he was quite a bit younger than me, but at that time, you know, when I was just getting in, he was already pro and already made it to world's strongest man. So I, it wasn't about age, it was about experience and what could someone offer me in terms of advice. <clears throat> so at that's when I really started soaking it up. You know, I realized that all these people that were out, you know, doing it, those were the ones I was going to listen to. Nice. And then, so I guess, then how did that shift you? Like, what did you, what did you learn from their experience? Um, even then there was still, you know, a lot of advice still was a little conflicting <clears throat> because, you know, my methods were so different to get me there. Um, you know, like I remember uh, Mark Philby actually gave me a, he gave me a, a pretty good piece of advice one time. Um, and it was because my competitive schedule had gotten so busy that I was needing more recovery than I was accustomed to because, you know, competing is a different game than training in the gym. And so he would tell me, he would say, don't leave it in the gym, meaning keep that day, 
you know, in your back pocket for when we show up wherever we're going, you know, and that, that really helped because I, at that point I had no governor when I was, if, if there was, if I was lifting, I was going. And then I started to recognize that, you know, that like <clears throat> once I started to recognize there was about a week of real, like serious downtime before competition, that, that really helped me because I recognized that with that type of, uh, you know, kind of active recovery leading into a competition, I was so much better than if I didn't take the rest necessary. But it was tough to do that because, you know, in my guts and my heart of hearts, I wasn't used to taking these, these breaks, you know. But now things are different now. You know, I, all the work I did along the way got me where I wanted to go. Now it was time for me to learn how to perform my best. So, John, that governor is a hard lesson learned for a lot of athletes. And I, I know from just freshmen coming in or rookies coming in, they come in with a swagger and attitude of they're invincible. Could you talk about the, the process? I know you can say you hit that governor, but how many times did you hit the wall? Did you get injured or anything like that to really, you know, say, I need to change? You know, that's once I start, once I actually, because Strongman was my first career. <clears throat> and once I got out and I started competing and I, you know, I, I, it's kind of my way, everything that I do, I do all my homework first. So like I went strong and everything I've done, I've gotten to the top really quickly. So like my first international strongman contest was also my third. And so when I show up to these things, I was very, very clear in understanding that experience wise, I was way over my head. And so I was much more open to listen to the people that were helping me in terms of, of, uh, you know, being a better competitor. A lot of these competitions, like, you know, I got on Team USA, you know, I've got four teammates that are trying to help me because we want to win. And uh, I remember Phil Fister telling me that, um, that he thought that if I played my cards a little differently, that I would do better in the later events in day one because, you know, I would go so hard. I didn't uh, – it took me a little bit to understand that I just needed to do – what was necessary to win the event and then put the shit down and walk back to the tent, you know, as to where, you know, like my first, right, my, when I turned pro and I got my pro card, I mean, fuck, I was beating everybody by 10, 12 reps and everything. And I, I could have beat them by one, put it down and walk away. But it just wasn't in my mentality at that point, you know? So the governor was, it was kind of, um, I guess you would say it was, it was kind of given to me, not like, hey, this is going to help you. It's like, hey, you know, you're part of this team and we need you to perform better. So listen up, you know. So that's, that's how the governor came into play. But I will say um, I fight with the governor all the time because <laughs> not listening to that governor is, fuck, that's what, made, that's what makes me me, you know. Um, even in my, just my general attitudes, you know, it's like, uh, my mentality, <clears throat> you know, it's like, uh, I think that, I think it's easy for people to recognize that there's two speeds on or off. I'm either black or white, you know, and that governor exists in the gray and I don't spend much time in there, you know? John, is that where the deep water philosophy came from? You kind of throw everybody in the deep water and you just fucking either survive or you don't. 
Yeah, so deep water, <clears throat> basically, I mean, it was kind of being developed from way back in the early part, what I was, the early stories I was telling you as far as the, you know, the, the train, the long training hours, and the nutrition, and the discovery of protein. But <clears throat> deep water really came from the fact that I felt like the gains in the training really started once things were fucking brutal. You know, that's when you, you know, that, you know, I tell my athletes that I'm training, I say, look, when you can't breathe and you don't think there's another rep, and I tell you to get one more and you pull it off, that rep is worth the first five put together. I said, so once you're in that space, take advantage because that's where the gains are. The gains are in the pain. If you're not in pain, you're not getting shit out of this, you know? So the deep water philosophy was kind of a um, – it was really developed through, you know, my own form of training, which was way outside the box. And, um, and then ultimately I started to recognize that a lot of what was making me me was the fact that I was existing in my training, you know, long when most people would quit a set, I would still go. And I had the intention of going and that's where deep water came from because that you're in deep water. It's like, you're, you're swimming out into, into the deep, dark water, and you have no regards for the next set or how you're going to get back to shore. You swim till you drown or you swim till you make the other side. Um, so that's, that's where it came from is that, you know, life begins when you're, when you're hurting, you know. So I, I know you were talking about you have your, you have your training facility up in, uh, uh, near San Francisco. Is this – when people walk in, if they want to train with you, is this what they could expect? Like, is it a, is it a private gym? Is it invite only? Can I just walk is, in and ask for an assessment? Is, it is private. And, but I will say that there's, you know, keep in mind, like, uh, there are definitely deep water. Um, there, there's definitely deep water integrated into the programs. However, it's not for everybody. And like, say for football players, um, the biggest thing that deep water does for them is it grooms them mentally. Um, you know what I mean, but it sounds like you don't want everybody. I mean, that's kind of like a, the one thing actually it's refreshing about this is, uh, you know, obviously the black and white, but you're an extreme person. You're a type A personality. Like it's either fucking gas or brake. You either got your foot on the accelerator or we're fucking in park. And I think for most of the world, and you know this, I mean, haven't been around it. Most people aren't like that. Most people are fucking scared of the accelerator. They're really nervous to put their foot down, um, you know, because it's almost like an idea. If somebody goes 100 miles an hour and they fail, then, you know, they're pretty upset. Whereas if they don't ever put their foot on the accelerator and they fail, then they, you know, they never really try. And <laughs> uh, it, it's pretty interesting. I mean, like I, you know, I don't know if you know any history on me, but uh, I was fortunate to play in the NFL for 10 years. Oh, very and, uh, cool, brother. Very cool. So, so I, I actually, we have a really uh, mutual friend. Uh, one of my closest friends in the world is Bob Sapp. Ah, no shit. Yeah, wow, so. Uh, I a lot of time with Bob in Japan. That's killer. Dude, uh, when I was a young guy, so I, I got drafted and went to the Eagles. Um, the, my, my agent hooked me up with uh, uh, Mauro De Pasquale for a supplement deal. And so uh, Mauro, you know, did all my original supplements, and that's how I got into, like, doing the anabolic diet. And Bob and uh, uh, Dr. D had worked together. So he sends me over and goes, hey, uh, I want to set you up with this guy to talk some nutrition and just, you know, have somebody to pal around with. So Bob was down in Baltimore. So I, I ended up meeting up with Bob. And, uh, fuck, dude, we talked almost every single day for, like, five years. 
who was yeah. like one of my like oldest friends. And like, this is when he was still in the NFL and then he went out and fought tough man and then went over to Japan and yeah. uh, shit, he, he was at my wedding. He was in my wedding. So yeah, one of my oldest friends in the world. So I, when I Googled your name, it came up that you guys were buddies. And so uh, yeah, the last, the last time I saw Bob, I'm trying to think it was the last time of the time before, but either way we were in North Korea together, you know, that was pretty fun. You know, it was, uh, we were in this thing where it was called force uh, for peace. And, uh, you know, so you got fucking Bob and myself and one other American in a place where Americans aren't supposed to go. It was fucking weird, dude. <laughs> well, and, and the crazy part is, is, uh, um, you know, Bob, uh, who was pretty amazing in that, uh, you know, Bob goes over to Japan and he calls me on the phone. He's like, man, I speak Japanese. And I was like, dude, you've been there like a month. How the hell the fuck did you learn Japanese? He's like, I don't know. I, I went to bed one day and I had a dream in Japanese and I woke up and I was fluent in Japanese and I'm like, anybody who knows Bob knows that that's a fucking true statement. So I was probably imagining Bob was over there in uh, North Korea and probably was able to speak Korean within like two days. So, <laughs> Yeah. He's a cool cat, man. I'll tell you with that. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Every time we see each other, it's like we never missed a beat. You know, there's just certain people you kind of have that commonality with, you know? Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, Bob, Bob, same thing. Like he'll call me and like fill me in on all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah. I mean, like, dude, we've been, geez, he's one of my, literally my oldest friends. So, uh, yeah, like. I love because, you know, he's like, when he was telling me his, his story with NFL, <clears throat> you know, I mean, it, it, for people who haven't met this guy, I mean, holy Christ, you know, people look at me and think I'm big. Uh, I look like a fucking midget compared to Bob. I mean, Bob is, you know, 6'6", 340, when he's in good shape, he's got abs. I mean, he's a specimen, you know. And uh, <laughs> so he's telling me about his football. He's all, that nah, he's telling me stories. But, you know, my best position was butt back. <laughs> so, get your butt back to the bench, God damn it. You know? <laughs> Dude, uh, uh, Bob, so uh, I go meet Bob for the first time. And uh, Bob, I think he, he was probably, I mean, I don't know if he's 6'6". He's a little shorter than me, and I'm 6'6". So he's probably pretty close. And uh, I was weighing probably right around, like, 300 pounds. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at Bob, and, like, he, he like, looks skinny. And I'm like, how much you weigh? He's like, oh, I'm, like, 340. And I was like, 40 fucking pounds. And then it was, uh, like, two years later after he um, had got out and, like, had done, you know, some fighting thing, he, uh, we were supposed to meet in Vegas. And so, like, he, he comes walking through the uh, – uh, I, I'm sorry. He actually, he had a fight in Vegas uh, that my brother and I went to. And so he comes walking in and uh, he was weighing probably about 415 pounds at the time. I think he's what he weighed in at. And he's easily uh, abbed up. I mean, he was sub 10%, at least eight, seven, eight percent body fat. He took his fucking shirt off. Dude, he's a specimen. Period. And I mean, 400 pounds, right? <laughs> so, so like we go out to the pool and uh, there was, like, a, a pro bodybuilder dude, um, that Craig Titus guy who's fucking in jail. He killed somebody. But, like, Craig Titus, who was a big pro, uh, dude was looked like Ram Man. I mean, he had to be, like, all bit of, like, 5'5", five, five, fucking 275. And this dude was fucking <laughs> And uh, Bob takes his shirt off. And, like, the look on this dude's face was, oh, like, his pants, dude. I'm going to go kill myself. Yeah. And hopefully I come back as some, as this dude's <laughs> offspring was his comment. But, like, he, he was, like, looking at this guy, and he's, like, he's, like, you have to be fucking kidding me. He's like, I, uh, no, I mean, Bob is an attraction, man. We've done yeah. some, like we've done the stuff that we've done together is pretty killer because I know that when I'm working with Bob, it's going to be big, you know, like North Korea was big. 
Done a couple of Tokyo Dome wrestling shows with him. You know, he's a, I mean, he's an attraction. I mean, I think there was a point in time where he was the most popular um, American figure in Japan. You know, I mean, it was it's crazy. He was Time Magazine's Japan or Japan's Time Magazine man of the year like five times. Oh yeah. And so like uh, we walk into this, um, uh, he like comes in the hotel. We walk in and like he has a fight, and all of a sudden he like stops. And I'm like, what's up? And, and it was like maybe a hundred Japanese tourists just happened to be walking through the hotel. Oh, they probably like, Well, he, he like stops. He's like, dude, don't say anything. I'm like, why? And all of a sudden, as soon as he said it, I like looked over and these people saw him and they were like, <gasps> and he was like a fucking Backstreet Boy. Like these people screamed and started to melt the fuck down, cash the oh, like literally like I like uh, uh he, he, he really gets it, dude. You know, he like so gets it. He has the voice he puts on yeah. for the fans, the laugh and her, her, her. I mean, people that don't know him think that that's his voice, and it's not far off from his real voice. Yeah. But he so gets how to be an athlete and an entertainer, and that's what people miss. he's incredible he just um you know bob was uh uh, so bob was great as long as he only had to go this way uh the problem is in the nfl uh you have to go every which way that's where the butt back came in huh (laughs) he he just and and like you know he was actually better like they actually tried to make defensive line and he was pretty good because he just had to go fucking straight ahead the problem is they tried to play him at offensive line and, like, he just didn't have the kind of lateral-type movement he needed. Now he's so fucking strong. You want him and big, but, you know, you want him on the on your team because, oh, yeah. you know, you want him getting off the bus first. Uh, my other favorite part about Bob is uh, Bob was by far the smallest eater I've ever been around. I, that's crazy, dude, isn't it? I mean, we sit there, like, after shows, we'll go to sponsors and stuff, and I'm just I'm – I'm a huge fucking eater, you know? And he's sitting there – He's got like this little fucking plate of like cabbage and he's picking at it. And I'm like, you put him on the side of the fucking floor. What are you doing? He just had a good time, man. We went out to dinner. It came out of his mom, like whatever he is. It was just ready to be a premier athlete. He, he, like, we'd go out and eat and he would order like two appetizers. And like, he's like, I, I like appetizers, small plates. I'm, I, I get full real fast. And like, I, I, I always fucking like thought about it. I'm like, it almost had to be that there was, like, some fucking mutant gene that was, like, preventing him from eating so that he didn't grow to be, like, <laughs> so, like, I, I, uh, like I, I used to joke with Bob that, uh, hey, I'm sorry, fellas, real quick, I gotta, I, I apologize, I'm starting to whittle, I gotta take a piss, I'm drinking, like, two and a half gallons of water, so I'm two weeks away from a contest, so I'm gonna probably have to do this a few times. That's <laughs> what I'm going for. Sorry to cut the story, I just, I swore to God, they're oh, yeah. I yeah, we'll cut it out. Yesterday, I swore to Christ, I almost pissed it in my pants. By the time I got it unzipped, I had a wet spot. <laughs> <laughs> I think we keep that in. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, fellas, shit, man. Two and a half gallons of water a day. Guys got to take a piss a lot, you know? Fuck, that's a lot of water, dude. I, I was going to tell you, uh, uh, you know, you're in pretty good shape, but I think your wife or your girl's in way better shape, dude. <laughs> she's actually- Fucking- yeah, she she's she's actually just starting to prep for a contest as well. So she's uh I mean she's we stay in great shape year round, you know. Yeah. Well you have to. 
Yeah, but, you know, she's now a couple weeks deep into just in a few weeks right off the start, a lot of changes happen, you know, especially the people who are already in good shape. So, uh, sorry about that. I apologize for cutting you off. I'll give you a little more warning next time. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah uh, no problem. I mean, it's a good segment. I mean, I'm, uh, uh, I'm pretty fascinated. Uh, like, you obviously, how did you get from, all right, so you're in college, you get into Strongman. How the fuck did you go from strongman to wrestling in Japan? Um, well, just a quick heads up. There's actually like a period, we can go to that later, but there's a period between college and getting to where I actually got out competing in strongman. We can go into that later. Well, like, okay, well, how? Uh, all right, so, so uh, where did you go to school? You said you went to a small Catholic school? University of Portland. All right, so you went to University of Portland. And then, you know, obviously you're fucking banging weights, you graduate, you decide you don't want to have a real job. What was the kind of the, you know, like, um, you almost sound like, you know, like you're going to walk the earth. A fucking disciple of iron and just search people out and fucking drown them in the deep water. I mean, I knew what I wanted to do. I just wasn't there. I was a real late bloomer. So I graduated college about 250. And I knew that for me to get where I wanted to go in those days, 250 was big in those days, but 270 was more where it needed to be. So I still have a little weight to put on. So, fuck, I came out of college. I'm like, God damn it, what am I going to do? <clears throat> so I really had no interest in trying to start, you know, sort out a career, not to mention my, uh, I don't know if you saw on the internet, my, my uh, degree is major in theology and minor in philosophy. What the fuck are you going to do with that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, stay on podcasts. Uh, <laughs> podcasts a lot. <laughs> so anyway, so. In the summer times, I had painted houses, um, you know, to make cash because, you know, I, I wasn't a full-time job. I was able to work kind of half days and have tons of time to spend at the gym. And, you know, I was fucking making great money. I make 20 grand in the summer for a college kid working part-time. That's pretty killer. So, I thought, fuck, man, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put that full bore and I'm going to use this to kind of segue me to where I can get out and do what I want. So. Of course, by this time, the beautiful thing about this now deep water, even though I haven't titled it or even recognized it exists, I apply that to everything I do. So I went from basically starting this company illegally the first year, no license, no insurance, no nothing. Um, Five years later, sold it for a half million bucks and fucking bam, off I went into the strumming circle, you know? So deep water is way beyond training. It has to do, that's, you know, looking back, what I really started to understand and how it developed, it has to do, I mean, truthfully, it starts upstairs. It's in the head. You, once you understand how to use it, um, it, you can apply it to whatever the fuck you want life, you know? And it's, I mean, truthfully, now I kind of, it's personal improvement. What, what improvement do you want? You know, so there, there's, the, there's the gap there. So went through strongman career. I was a little, even though that was the, the era of what they call the modern-day strongman era, which for me was quite lucky because that's when the six-foot, 315-pounder could thrive, you know, the Marius Puzianowski era. Um, you know, now you got to be so fucking big. If you're not 6'6", six, six, you got nothing. John, uh, I'm, I'm 40, so, so you're actually the age of my older brothers. Uh, and so I remember watching strongmen in those days and like, like, uh, Pujasnowski and uh, dude, he, yeah, like, like that was to me, like, you know, watching. I, mean, I got man. some fucking crazy Pujasnowski. <laughs> bro. 
other. Oh, fuck. Dude, uh, do, you, do you know a guy named uh, Tom Inkledon? What is it? Uh, Tom Inkledon. He's a doctor out of Arizona. I don't. Uh, he, he was a strongman guy, and he, uh, he, he told me some pretty good fucking Pujanowski stories about having to do blood work on him. And it's, <laughs> oh, uh, I think it took him 45 minutes to take one tube of, uh, of blood off him because his blood was so thick that he was having to drink vodka to try to thin out his blood. And he's like, uh, his hematocrit was like so fucking high that like the, they, they were kind of like, this is, uh, you know, impossible. And that this guy's even walking around, but yeah, no, sorry. Go on. Let's get y'all. No, it's okay, brother. I mean, it's, it's that, that is kind of sums up foods right there, you know, doing what he seemed to somehow kind of exist where nobody thought he could, you know, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, so as an undersized guy, um, and I was the modern day, so I was okay, but I was still a little bit on the smaller side. You know, most of the guys were 6'3". You know, I was just a scotch over six. Um, anyway, so long and short of it, um, you know, I had to fucking, you know, I had to have a back surgery. It's part of the process. You beat yourself down. And uh, that was during a time, if you remember correctly, like the dot-com was booming, so money was everywhere. So there was tons of money for, I mean, I was making a full-blown living through Strongman, through sponsors. I and mean, I had a – they're out of business now, but was a, I had a, 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 a sports drink called Havoc. And uh, these fuckers were giving me 3500 bucks a month, and all I had to do was wear a T-shirt, you know? I mean, I would go – every once in a while, they'd fly me in for some event, but it was crazy. And so, anyway, uh, <clears throat> so that was a good time in my life, but then – you know, good things come to an end. You know, I had to, I had to, uh, you know, to compete at that level, I had to be willing to, you know, go that much harder than the guys that just were naturally these big beefcakes. And so I ended up doing my back pretty good, having a back surgery. <clears throat> and so, and I and guess going back to the part of the money, I had an agent at the time because that's, there was enough money to have an agent, you know, in terms of strong man. And, uh, I was like, fan, dude, what are we going to do? You know, he's all, well, fuck, man, you're 34. There's not many options. He's all, you want to keep making your living as a professional athlete. You know, pro wrestling is where you got to go. I'm all, fuck, dude. I've never even, I mean, the only thing I remember about pro wrestling was Ultimate Warrior, not because it was the wrestling, because he was a big motherfucker, and I just thought I was enamored by his physique. But I never, I mean, I was not a wrestling fan in terms of, I mean, this is something I had to hide like a motherfucker because, no, I mean, People that go get good jobs in the wrestling world are not only fans first, but they fucking work for years to get paying jobs. And I fucking basically fucked my back up at Strawman, had a surgery at Christmas time, <clears throat> went to a, a wrestling school so I could learn how to basically dance the dance, so to speak, and not hurt somebody or hurt myself for that matter. And by fucking, uh, July or August of that year, I was in Japan for my first time fucking wrestling, you know? And that's just like, that's just, that going back to like the strong man, you know, everything I do is just fucking boom, boom, boom. You know, my, I was international, my third strong man contest. I think, I think in Japan, my first match in Japan, and you're talking in front of like 10,000 people, was probably my fourth fucking wrestling match. <laughs> Jesus. You know, I had to do a couple of little shitty fuckers. Deep water. <laughs> I had to do a couple of shitty fuckers in like high school gyms just to get a little footage just so that my agent could send that shit off, you know? And uh, 
So that's where the transition came from because, you know, the straw man had come to an end. Well, I could have had the surgery and gone back, but he said, you're going to, you'll be back here in less than a year. You're, you're, you're back. You, I ruptured two discs and they were both like ruptured, ruptured. One was to the point where it had to be, they had to shave it down and dissect me. The other one was just slightly ruptured. They said that ultimately I'll have to have that one shaved down too, but I've been avoiding that bitch like the plague, but it's coming. I can feel that. So when the first one happened, I got a lot of nerve pain down my left leg. And then ultimately, once I started to develop drop foot, they said, fuck them, let's go. And uh, <clears throat> so the nerve pain now is traveling down my right leg, but it's only about to my knee. So I got some time. <laughs> wow. So what, what's this, like L4, L5? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah, fixed the I can't remember sciatica. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember which one they fixed, but it's the one above. Yeah. That is the next one in the mail. And I, you know, I had, I mean, they maxed me out with the epidurals before surgery. So I was, I was still going for it, you know, and then it got to the point where, look, if you don't, and I didn't know much about it, you know, the surgeon, like, if you don't get this done soon, your, your left leg will never be the same. And it's still truthfully not like my calf is, I can't, I mean, you know, I, you know, you, you've right, you obviously we're athletes. We can, choose to flex a muscle i can't just flex that left calf unless i put it under load because that nerve connection is just not the same and i mean fuck we're talking jesus christ nine years ago that fucking surgery you know so <clears throat> anyway um that was the transition to wrestling and uh, so when i got the first deal thank you baby a little coffee drop off here um so um when I got the first deal, it was a mini tour, basically, you know, because they're not gonna they're not gonna invest much in a person they don't know much about. And so my agent said, "Look, you're going over there for a week. You got like four matches. You fuck this up, you will never go back." And so I got over there, and I was able to do well enough for them to contract me, and fucking bam, off I went, you know. And then that was for a company. Um, it was a good company, but it was not the biggest one. The company I really wanted to work for was New Japan, which was the biggest one over there. And I uh, ended up getting picked up by them after about a year. Fuck, there it was again, man. Jesus Christ, I'm off and fucking running. So I'm going back and forth to Japan basically every month. Um, and then, interestingly enough, probably some – I mean, I wrestle all over the world. Um, New Japan had a working agreement with a company in Mexico called CMLL, which is the oldest wrestling company in the world. And uh, anyway, so I would sometimes they would end up shipping me down there. A lot of times when you're, if you ever uh, wrestle a fan of Mexico City, Arena Mexico is like the hub. You know, it's fucking huge, like 22,000 seats, and they probably pack 27 in that bitch. Anyway, but. I swear to Christ, dude, wrestling in Japan, excuse me, in Japan is fucking crazy, but in Mexico, it is a whole other fucking level, dude. I mean, you can be in the main event on Friday night at Arena Mexico, get up the next fucking day, go to Starbucks, get your cup of coffee, and you're on the fucking front page of the the fucking newspaper. What other country on the planet reports on wrestling which is all fucking fake in the goddamn newspaper you know i'm not talking about the national Enquirer. i'm talking about you know mexico city times or whatever the fuck they called it you know (laughs) 
So needless to say, man, my wrestling career was fucking killer because the platform, Strongman was awesome because, you know, in Europe, it's huge. You know, you can compete in front of, you know, 5,000, 10,000, sometimes more depending on the events or where you are. But in wrestling, you, you can get in front of fucking 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people if, if you're in main events and a big, in big venues. So it was a, wrestling was a fun time. Although looking back, I will say, Jesus Christ, it is a lifestyle you really have to fucking adapt to. And I clearly, clearly see why there is so many deaths and drug addicts and shit in that sport. Because, I mean, the things that you have to do to survive in that world are fucking off. I look back and I was like, you know, how in the hell did I pull it off? Interesting. Well, it's, it's the travel schedule. I mean, those yeah. guys are on the road fucking 300 days a year. I mean, dude, like you got to be up, you got to be down. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, and the impacts, I mean, dude, I, um, you know, fucking NFL players are killing themselves and, you know, I mean, we practice and play, but dude, the amount of guys yeah. and, you know, I mean, the CT is one of the problems. I mean, check this out. I got to give myself, I got to give myself a plug here <clears throat> because in that, during my wrestling career, there was a, a documentary company, um, that basically, I can't remember how they found me, but they followed me and a few of the wrestlers, you know, all over the world. Yeah, they even came back to my house when I was, you know, so the women saw, they just wanted to kind of see the life. <clears throat> and it premiered last uh, winter over in uh, New York, but it got picked up by a distributor and that fucker is releasing all over the country July 15th in like 15 different major, uh, major markets. So I can't remember what it's called, but I would say uh, probably 25% of that fucking flick is me and, you know, wrestling and, you know, with, you, know, you even see where I live and, you know, I, I mean, fuck there in my backyard watching me barbecue fucking burgers, you know? Oh, that's vicious. Yeah. You know, so you, we'll have to figure out what it's called. So is it called The Wrestler? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, if you go on my Facebook page, I shared, I shared the, the, uh, the post. You can find okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find uh, it. I kind of can't remember because it was basically a lucha. Because uh, you know the the, the yeah. lucha is like one of the oldest. And for those who don't know, lucha is what the, the Mexicans call their wrestlers. Yeah, the lucha <laughs> is one of the oldest forms of wrestling. That's where where a lot. I guess I'm mean, here again. I, I don't really know the roots of it, but that's where a ton of the tradition is. And so that's what it came down to. It was uh, they basically it was me. Um, the main, the star of the flick was actually my partner, a guy named Shocker. That was his wrestling name, Jose, that was his real name. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty fucking killer. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, that was a really fun deal because, you know, when they're shooting, I can't tell you how, I mean, as an NFLer, you probably, you probably stumbled across this too, where, you know, you find people with projects and cameras and they give you all this attention and then you, you never fucking hear about it again. So for it to actually hit like 15 major markets is pretty fucking cool, you know? Yeah. John, no. what was your what was your wrestling name? Strong man. <laughs> I mean, the perfect That's original. That's good. Perfect translation for Japan because you know when I'm going that's a, that was part of the hiccup, you know, it happened so fucking fast. My agents are what the fuck are we gonna call you? I gotta call you something in this fucking this fraudulent resume I'm cooking up here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so in in Japan it's you know they you know they they're really really 
fans of everything American. And so um, you, the translation is really, really funny. So if it was something that symbolized strongman but wasn't the word strongman, it just wouldn't work. And uh, <clears throat> it played off perfectly for my because <clears throat> part of the way he bridged me was that I was, uh, you know, a strongman athlete that had, you know, turned my horses to the rest of the world, you know. <laughs> so, fucking awesome. It's a great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, I was in such fucking bad shape, I still couldn't fucking deadlift 315 because my back was still fucked up from surgery, but. <laughs> Made it work. Hey, fuck it, dude. You know what, uh, I always think it's better to ask for forgiveness and permission, and I always think most of the people that fucking get anywhere in this world just go seize it. And uh, I think if you sit around and you wait, what are you going to do? No, man, it's like I, uh, you know, I think people sit around and they wait for greatness to come, and you realize you got to go out there with a hatchet. Yeah. Somebody like yourself, dude, who fucking made it to one of the biggest platforms on the fucking planet where, I mean, if you, if we walked down the street and we bumped into a thousand, you know, little boys, I don't think there would be one of them that wouldn't dream of fucking being an NFL player. I mean, so you went to the biggest platform, period. You know, so it's a, you know, understanding it's time to fucking stand up and get it done. That obviously, you get that to the fullest. You know, nobody gets the NFL by fucking sitting on their ass. <laughs> no, I, well, that and also, uh, you know. Uh, that may be Bob Sapp. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, Bob, like, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, dude, people always ask me these fucking questions about it, and I tell them, I'm like, dude, like, um, uh, you know, I physically had to like, you know, and probably a lot like yourself, dude, I was, you know, I was kind of skinny when I started lifting weights and I, I wanted to uh, bang weights because my older brothers were big and strong and they both played in college. Uh, so I started lifting weights and uh, actually I wasn't very strong when I started. And so like fucking being a little bit of humility or, you know, kind of embarrassment and like a little bit of shame and not being stronger, like fucking forced me to have to do a lot of, you know, fucking train harder and try to, you know, be obsessive <laughs> about it. And when I got to college, like, uh, you know, my goal wasn't necessarily playing the NFL. I was just stoked to get there because I got – Where did you play in college, brother? Uh, UC Berkeley. Oh, that's – you told me that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. So I played at Cal. And so I, I went there. I got a ride out of high school and, um, you know, fucking started banging weights and, you know, training. And I, I saw this direct correlation between what I did in the weight room and, you know, I, like I – you know, I was – I weighed probably – 255 pounds, you know, 6'4", 255, and I was a late bloomer too, so I ended up growing to 6'6", uh, yeah. while I was in college, and, you know, everybody was fucking bigger and stronger, I mean, I didn't even own a razor when I went to college, and these dudes got, like, full chest hair and beard. That was the same fucking way, man, yeah. not a goddamn fucking hair on my face. Oh, yeah, nothing, and, like, I remember my, my roommate was like, hey, uh, how come there's only one razor in there, and I'm like, well, fuck, I don't own one, he's like, why, I'm like, well, fuck, I never shaved, he, like, had, like, chest hair and a beard. And, uh, you know, I, I realized that, fuck, I mean, like, the only way that I could fucking even the playing field was to go in and train in the weight room. And I, dude, I squatted, like, 600 before I was 20. I benched 500 <laughs> before I was 21. And actually, the, the, the training that I put in the weight room ended up, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I was bigger and stronger. And, like, um, my deal wasn't necessarily playing the NFL. I just didn't like to fucking get beat. So I would go out and play, and I'd be like, I don't give a fuck about, you know, this football thing. I just don't like to lose. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, the guys that I'm playing against in, in uh, college, uh, all of a sudden get drafted real high. It was a guy named Reagan Upshaw. Uh, and I don't know if you, you remember those guys. They were all from, like, Pittsburgh and that area. Uh, all got drafted in the first round, like, top ten pick. And I remember thinking, like, fuck, I, that dude did beat my ass. And wait a minute, this guy got fucking drafted in the top ten. 
And then next thing you know, I got drafted and I went and I started as a rookie and started my next 10 years in the NFL. And it was basically just because I didn't like to lose. But I mean, it was something that I had to physically go out and find. Whereas I always joke that scouts were searching for Bob Sapp. And they were like, hey, get over here. Because, I mean, Bob, uh, like, if you watch Bob, and I watched Bob on film, uh, Bob was, like, he was so fucking big and strong that, like, nobody was going to get fucking around him. Uh, you know, when, when you get to the NFL and you realize everybody's big and strong, you know, just, yeah, yeah he's just strong. And they can move laterally. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, Detail, but, but right? the crazy part is Bob ran, like, 4 eight. 40 at the oh, yeah, dude. on paper you don't understand why he's not in the hall of fame dude, uh, he, he he literally ran sub five flat at like 300 and dude i i remember him showing me his combine video and he's like there with his shirt off and he's fucking like abbed up he's got oblique muscles and it's like oh, he's 317 they got dbs that look like that this motherfucker is putting his finger in the dirt, you know? Yeah. And, and the other crazy part is Bob could do, like, a fucking splits. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he would, like, set the two chairs and do the uh, uh, fucking Van Damme. Mm-hmm. So Bob was, like, uber flexible, strong as a motherfucker and fast. And they were like, this dude can't fucking lose. Yeah. Just and not mean enough, huh? No, because uh, uh, Bob was – Bob's a really nice dude, but I've seen Bob get pissed. And, like, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, uh, I don't really want to upset Bob because he might fucking rip my head off. But, like, Bob's a super smart, really nice dude. Uh, it just – I think um, football's real interesting, especially, at, like, when you play offensive line. Like, you got to love the fucking violence of it. And I don't know if like, – like, Bob had all these intangibles, but I don't know if he ever loved the violence of, like, uh, you know, and, you know, it's, it's kind of fucked up because uh, – and I always tell people this, but – like, uh, when you play offensive defense line, you play a, a position I did, like, there was really no football about it. Like, I didn't really ever touch a ball. I didn't really understand all the fucking rules. You just fucking fight with the guy across from me, right? That's it. It, it was just like, uh, we're going to have um, – Ten-second rounds. Well, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's roughly fucking about 70 rounds of five to seven seconds of me trying to inflict as much pain and punishment as Between I can on you as fast as I can yeah. so that I hope you give up and I don't fucking yeah. – <laughs> you know, that's all it was. And so there was one of my favorite. I love to watch. I don't watch much TV, but I love to watch inspirational shit like Thirty for Thirty in Football Life. Yeah, and it was uh, on the '85 Bears, and I remember oh, looking, yeah. watching Dan Hampton tell stories, and he's using mm-hmm. his hands and he's gesturing, and his fucking hands are just they're tore up because yeah. exactly what you're saying. I mean, he's you're fucking fighting. I mean, can you imagine you're fighting? With somebody, it's not like you're hitting their fucking skin. Your hands are hitting fucking metal and hard plastic. So yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't think that, and, and I don't truly understand it. <clears throat> I don't think that many people truly get what goes on on a line of scrimmage on a pro football field. You know, it's a vicious that game, and, uh, and, and it's unfortunate too because it's, it's like it's it's that's the essence well, of it to me is that's like the, that's well, where the fucking that's the trench you know well, what I mean? it, it's uh the thing which is strange is uh at least for me everything kind of happened in slow motion i know it sounds weird but like i i remember everything real vividly in kind of slow motion and you know as it was happening like it didn't feel like it was fast and you, you come off and you fucking ram your head into somebody and like to feel like you know that kind of hammer 
versus the nail deal. And then the hilarious part would be like to all of a sudden go back and watch it because on occasion, like the you know NFL films or different people would be filming from the sideline, they show you shit in real speed, and you'd be like, "Fuck, that, oh, yeah, really fast." Yeah, and you hear the ferocity of the impacts, and, and like, nobody fucking understands how big everybody is because everybody's big. You're like, well, that guy's not that big. He's fucking six six. What are you talking about? The guy across from him is fucking six nine. You know, dude. I I was one of the smaller athletic guys at like six six. Like I I, I played most of my career about three oh five three ten. <laughs> dude that I played next to was like six eight, like three hundred forty five pounds. After he sat in the fucking sauna for about two hours. Uh, Where did you play? What's that? What team? Uh, I played five years in uh, Philadelphia, then four in Kansas City, and then my last year in New England, and then I got hurt, and that was my 10th year, and I came home and had surgery. Nice. So it was uh, Trey Thomas, who I, I played left guard. He was our left tackle. He was like every bit of 6'8", 345, 350 pounds, and uh, didn't really lift weights. Wow. Didn't really fucking train. Defensive tackle that uh, <clears throat> I wonder if you played with him. Something tells me you might have uh... – uh, he was really, he was really known to be fast. Uh, this black guy, he did, he, he was, uh, you know, he was kind of a guest at the strongest man alive in Philly. Uh, God, I'm drawing a blank on his name. It was uh, Wilkins, last name maybe. Uh, started with a D, first name. Oh, uh, 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 Dan Wilk- uh, Dan Wilkinson. Was he? Uh, was he? Um, uh, did he play down in the Redskins? Down played for Philly. Oh, he played for Philly. Yeah, oh, so I, I oh, was he Dar- uh, Darwin Walker? Yes, yeah, 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 baby, yeah, cool. Yeah. Guy, man. really cool, dude. I was, yeah, so, uh, I was yeah. so blown away at how humble this guy was, you know. Yeah, uh, Darwin uh, was. Uh, um, yeah, oh, I know him very, very well. I used to fucking lay an ass beating <laughs> on that dumb motherfucker. <laughs> he was actually uh, he he was the smart. Uh, I like I like to believe you know Berkeley guy, fairly intelligent, but I also like to believe that green straw. So you know a little bit of this. He was a structural engineer major from Tennessee, and he was the dumbest motherfucker I'd ever met. I'd be like, how the fuck were you an engineer? I think he works as an engineering company. He was like a super book smart dude. And he was strong. He was country strong. Real fucking. It was him and another guy doing commentating, and it was the la- it was a it was basically a, a truck pull event where we had two fucking semis. So you pull the first semi with fifteen feet of slack, and then when you got fifteen feet deep, the slack and the rope hit, and then the second one came. So it was like fucking. Each truck was like twenty four thousand. So it's forty eight by the time you got them both going, right? Yeah. And this fucking idiot who he's, um, you know, doing announcing with is talking about how I'm pulling it with my arms because there's a lead rope. And, and Wilkins is like, no, that's got to be all the legs. <laughs> he's pulling that with his arms. <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, old, old D-Walk, we, uh, uh, we had this deal. And so, like, um, it, just kind of the irony, dude, that's why I was loving about your deep water stuff. Uh, one of the programs we put out is called Jack Street. And the reason where, where the name comes from is on Friday afternoons during the season, after practice, we would always go in and bang weights and like do a bunch of bodybuilding shit. And so like Friday was really the only day that my upper body felt good enough to bench Eddie. So I would come in and like, uh, regardless of how many reps I get, I had to have at least four or five on the bar for one day, like early in the season, it might be eight reps by the end of the season. It might be just a fucking single. But as long as I had four or five on the bar, I knew I was ready to go. All wheels on there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, then we'd, we'd hit like a bunch of like curls and just do a bunch of bodybuilding shit. 
Well, Darren always fancied himself as like a strong dude. And so he would always see me fucking going in there. And so then, you know, all the guys ended up going in and we just basically just go bang heavyweights on Fridays. And because Veteran Stadium uh, was on Broad Street and it was like the Broad Street Brawlers, I used to call it Jack Street. Uh, so that's where it came from. I'd be like, yo, man, I, let, let's go do – and that's where the facility was, was on Broad Street, so it was Jack Street. And so that's one of our programs that we put out is fucking Jack Street. But where that came from was our Friday afternoons and Darwin was part of our Jack Street crowd. And, uh, oh, and he was always super – you in contact with him still? Uh, you know what? I, I haven't. I could always reach out to him, but uh, – you know, part of the problem is, is the defensive lineman guys didn't really like me that much because uh, not only was I a fucking asshole, uh, both on the field, but off the field, they didn't want to listen to me fucking belittle them mentally and emotionally. So yeah. I know, he'd probably see me and be like, well, we're on that motherfucker. I'm going to punch him. So no, but I could reach out to him. No, he was a cool cat and uh, uh, just super strong. And uh, used to always push me on the bench real hard. So I remember um, uh, one year, dude, you, you fucking do like – some of these things I could see you totally in this fight, but uh, we got a bod pod, you know, like one of those things that measures body fat. Uh, they sent one to the Eagles facility. And so everybody got in the bod pod. And of course we're all there trying to record everybody's body fat. And then we turned this to actually have the lowest body fat in our offensive defensive line, like the mostly muscle mass. And then we made a, a fucking award, like a Mr. Potato head in a glass fucking case. But so, um, so we all threw money at a pool, and I think I came in at like 306 at like 8% body fat. So I was like 282 pounds of lean muscle, and I crushed everybody. There was nobody that was even under 15. And uh, I also didn't tell them that I was drinking two gallons of water and fucking sat in a sauna and did a bunch of fucking co- uh, weight cuts. That's, the, that's the Berkeley coming out of your Yeah, right. oh, yeah. No, I was, I was no dummy. And uh, But, yeah, I always remember him being like, fuck, man, you fucking killed us. And I was like, well, you're not as smart as me, so fuck off. Ah, I love it, dude. Yeah, but right, it was good right for the fucking below the belt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah, dude. So it's, uh, but, no, it was, a, it was a, a, yeah, good time. That's funny, dude. I haven't thought of Darwin in a fucking long time. I'll have to reach out to him. So, so dude, so you do that, uh, professional wrestling, like what, like what have you, just ran its course and uh, – Injuries. Yeah, so basically, they, they they basic. When I got to New Japan, um, obviously, keep in mind, and I say this now because my career's you know. From, I mean, I still do a little bit of wrestling here and there, but now it's just fucking paid vacation. I was a shitty wrestler. Fuck, man. You know, and I it's people spend their whole lives learning to be good wrestlers, like I spent in the gym. You know, wrestling was a financial deal for me. So <clears throat> when I got to New Japan. Basically, they were buying a big fucking strong man, so to speak. You know, I was strong man. And uh, it's like, a, wrestling's like a circus. You got to have your fat motherfucker. You got to have your giant. You got to have your midget. You got to have all that weird shit. Well, I was a strong man. And so they had to try to find a place to put me. You know, they realized real quick that I was not going to be a fucking Tokyo Dome main event singles match wrestler. I just wasn't good enough, you know. And so <clears throat> what they did is they paired me up with a guy named Nanabu Nakanishi, who was a fucking legitimate stud. I mean, it was uh, he represented Japan two different years in Greco-Roman wrestling. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a true athlete before going to wrestling. You find that a lot of times. You find athletes that, like myself or actually McMichaels uh, from uh, the Bears did the same thing, you know. They run their course with the sport, with the, you know, the real shit, and then they fucking jump over to wrestling for 
extension of the career, you know? Anyway, so uh, um, Nakanishi was my partner, and he was also a big motherfucker. So they, they were these two big beasts, and they called us Muscle Orchestra. And uh, here again, this is the Japanese fucking translation. Gayest fucking name when you say it in English, but the fucking Japanese ate this shit up. Dude, dude, the Jays are by far the strangest fucking people in the world, dude. I've been to Japan, uh, and dude, yeah, I, so weird. So they... I mean, we hit right away, fuck. We got our first year together, we got Tag Team of the Year for Japan, um, you know, which fucking pissed off a lot of people because at the time, there was a tag team in New Japan called Bad Intentions who had the most title defenses in history on that island, and we got the fucking Tag Team of the Year, you know, which, of course, comes with a bunch of press and a lot of push and, of course, a nice bonus check. And so, uh, anyway, we were kind of like the, the we were kind of like the new tag team in town, so to speak. And we were getting pushed, and we were we were a lot of uh, we were challenging the current tag team uh, title holders. You know, often you know they don't just let you win. You got they build the story. You know, we probably had four or five attempts at you know taking the belts, and um, we were considered to be baby faces, which is good guys. And the other team was bad, their bad intentions by the name, their heels, which is the bad guys. So it was real easy for them to keep the belt. We could be knocking the shit out of them and they would cheat, which kind of meets their character. The ref wouldn't see it and they'd keep the belts, you know? Anyway, we were getting closer and closer to winning the fucking belts and uh, which would have, which would have been killer. Cause if we, if we'd had the belts, it probably would have catapulted my career with them a ton more. Anyway, fuck, man, long and short of it, he fucking breaks his neck in the ring, you know, like full fucking break, you know, couldn't get up, you know, and uh, so he was like, oh, Jesus Christ, it was probably a year recovery, and, uh, you know, they didn't even think he was going to walk again, but he's one of those guys, he didn't, all he knew was athletics, you know, he, <laughs> he told me, you know, he had a wife, he had all this shit, you know, it was all wrecked over him wanting to be an athlete, and that's what he chose. So he had, I mean, literally, I went up, I went to go see him in the hospital, and he just, there was just the way he talked. It was not even an option retiring. And so during that year, they teamed me up with a few different options, seeing if something would take. But we were too big. Muscle Orchestra was just too big and too popular for me to grab another partner and, you know, overcome the wave that had been created by Muscle Orchestra. So, long and short of it, when he came back, um, you know, obviously we were Muscle Orchestra again, and we started working, and, you know, the, the difference was he just was not the same. You know, it was, I mean, he tried to hide it the best he could, but, I mean, it just was not, there's no fucking way it was going to be believable that we were going to win the fucking belts when, you know, he's just not executing the way that everybody remembered. And so, <clears throat> you know, we had a good couple of, we ran for a couple more years. Um, but as soon as it was clear that we were headed the wrong direction, you know, they started making other plans. That's just the way the business works, you know? And so I went from, you know, having a, you know, a secured position to not, that's just kind of, and I was also 42 at that time. Um, just two years ago. 
And so it was, you know, just like anything else, man. I'm sure like in football, you know, you get in that position where they just realize it's better for them to, you know, to start investing in somebody else. And you just got to fucking take it as much as you don't like it. And it was, it sucked, man, because, I mean, obviously like in the NFL, I mean, you're at the top of the top. There's really no place to go and continue to play football. In wrestling, you see this all the time. I mean, if you saw the, the movie The Wrestler, the guy, you know, he went to the top. He's fucking, you know, working Madison Square Garden. And then when the whole when, – when his career started to decline, he couldn't fucking let go. He's back in the goddamn – he's back in the high, the, the high school gym. So, no, it's, it's – it, uh, that's a weird thing because I've seen guys do that shit where, like, you know, they play at the top and then all of a sudden they get out, like, you know, here. And next thing you know, they're playing arena football. And they're yeah. to, like, hang on. Uh, for me, I made a deal with myself that um, – yeah day that I could no longer play at the level at which I was yeah. accustomed and like the way I viewed myself, I would yeah. walk away and go do something else. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's exactly, that's exactly that's the conversation I had with myself when, <clears throat> because it was the writing was on the wall that it was not going to continue the way that, that they had originally planned. And I thought, well, if it ends up going this way all the way, when I get released, that's going to be it. You know, I'm not say that I won't wrestle anymore because I actually did get picked up. <clears throat> that uh, that following year by the first company I worked for, which is a good company, but it's just they're just not the same. They don't have a full schedule. It wasn't full time work, um, and so you know now. I mean, I'm still I still get calls to wrestle. You know, I'm supposed to go to China later this year, New Zealand at the very end of the year. But here, keep in mind, these are paid vacations. I have a set rate that I get paid per week. They cover all my expenses. Usually in that week, I'll wrestle once or twice. You know, I take my fucking daughter with me. I'll take my lady with me. It's fucking paid vacation. I mean, my daughter, Jesus Christ, you know, she's been all over the fucking world. She's only, she turns 14 on Friday, but, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, I mean, she's, you know, so now every time I wrestle, she's going to go see another part of the world. You know, but like I said, it's, it's paid vacation. You know, I, I came home, realized, okay, it's time to make another fucking jump. This so now, is the jump now, John, you're, you're into your bodybuilding, right? You said you're, you're yeah. for shows. So what's going on with that? So <clears throat> true to, true to deep water form. I come home. Um, I, they pretty much told me that the end of 2013 was it. So I'm on the December tour. Um, and uh, you know, they, basically what they told me was was that they'll they'll have me come back on bit by bit terms, which is basically a nice way to say get the fuck out of here. You know, <laughs> so um, so I come home. Oh, excuse me. So that last tour, I've already started my first bodybuilding prep. You know, I've already started diet the first for the first bodybuilding show because I'm not sitting. I'm not just like we talked about before. I'm not a waiter. I'm not going to wait for the next hour. I'm going to fucking get it. And at this point, I'm 40 fucking two. So the first time this happened, I'm 34. At 42, I'm a bit deeper in the fucking hole. What's left for a fucking 42-year-old? No, the bodybuilding was it, baby. You know, my body is way too fucked up to try to make a run in any sort of strength sport. Strength sport's a young man's sport. And I sure as hell wasn't going to fucking go to the Masters. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> basically, I come home. Um... My first bodybuilding contest was the Governor's Cup at the end of uh, excuse me, end of March 2014. 
had no fucking clue how big this motherfucker was, but my plan was not just to do a local show and be done. My plan was to do the show, qualify and go fucking with my pro card. So I went in there and, uh, you know, fucking wiped it out. dude. It was crazy. I mean, keep in mind, that was the second bodybuilding contest I'd ever been to in my life. Um, so the first one was the Olympia because I was there. MHP has been my title sponsor for 13 years. So I was there with them and they just gave, they had extra tickets. You want to go check out the show? Fuck, yeah, I'll check it out. That was the first time I'd ever even seen a bodybuilding show, you know? Um, because when I immerse myself in something, that's all I see. I, I don't see other things. So <clears throat> anyway, so Governor's Cup, wipe it out. I'm fucking probably 40 pounds bigger. I'm better conditioned. Walk through that motherfucker. Then uh, I thought, all right, well, I'm going to the next fucking step. So I went basically right back into fucking prep, earned my pro card, my second contest, which puts me in a class of like one of three or four people on the planet who ever done that. I'm the only person on the planet <clears throat> who's gone from the IFSA, which is International Federation of Strength Athletes, to the IFBB, which is International Federation of Bodybuilders, because you have to go into the feeder system, the NPC, National Physique Committee, to get into the IFBB. That's where, like, my first show, what my first two shows where I went, where, where I qualified and won my pro car, NPC. Now I'm IFBB, so I'm the only person that's ever successfully made the transition all the way. And uh, so I get my pro card, <clears throat> uh, my second contest, which, you know, Again, like everything else, fucking, I'm internationally fucking recognized almost immediately after I fucking opened the door to the new venture. Um, then uh, that following year, um, I, I definitely knew that I needed a little time. You know, keep in mind, my training was never physique-based. I've always liked to look good, but it was not about creating a certain look that was necessary to win a contest. I always wanted to be big and strong and fucking ripped, but I didn't really care if I had, you know, what we call a missing body part. You know what I mean? It, that, that really didn't enter my radar, you know? So <clears throat> as a wrestler, fuck man, it was, you know, I had to look good, but I was performance-based as well. It's a little bit of the strong man was just straight performance-based. Wrestling was kind of a little bit of both because I had to look good. And I had to pick these big motherfuckers up over my head, so I had to be able to do both. Um, now, bodybuilding is not performance-based at all. It's 100% aesthetic, so I had to wrap my brain around how to kind of manipulate my training to deal with the fucking you know, international plan bodybuilding. And so my first international professional contest as a pro bodybuilder was last year in the middle of the summer, which also doubled for my third ever bodybuilding contest, which nobody in the fucking back would believe. You know, Europeans are like, we don't believe you. I don't fucking fuck, man. You know, it's not about fucking how you believe me. You asked me a fucking question. I answered it, you know. (laughs) So, place fifth. So, to place top five, your first, uh, your your basically your pro debut, as as well as being only your third ever bodybuilding contest, again is pretty fucking unmatched. But yeah. how angry were you that you didn't win? I was planning on a win. You know? yeah. No, I, I fucking <laughs> sure you, you know finished that? fifth, and you were like, 
fuck these motherfuckers. I should have, you know, like, I'm just sure you were probably a piss for me. Five's great. Third ever, you're like, no, I should have won that shit. Fuck that shit. Well, yeah, but I will say this, and that's how I felt all the way, you know, but when I got there and I started to meet some of these guys that I, I've never seen these fuckers before. You know, I'd seen them in pictures of magazines, but, and I was, my coach had told me, look, this is what you're going to be dealing with. You know, you're dealing with guys that have spent 20 years trying to sculpt these muscles to look a certain way. You haven't done that. So I didn't really understand what he was saying at the time. But when I got there and I started meeting these guys like Cedric McMillan, he's just just freaky, um, genetically gifted bodybuilding athlete. Like um, small joints, huge fucking muscle bellies. You know, as soon as we're backstage and I meet him, I was like, okay, now I see what he's talking about. Now I understand what I got to do. So all in a couple of fucking seconds, I realized that winning that competition was not going to fucking happen because I just, the, the inexperience, what, I mean, keep in mind, some of that's come probably bliss because my inexperience when I come charging in these new fucking venues keeps me focused on being the best and not thinking about second place. But then, you know, when you get there and you see the reality, I'm not a dumb motherfucker. I can see, okay, I'm not going to beat this guy. You know what I mean? And so, <clears throat> and then also, too, what really fucking hurt me was I got so exposed on my posing because, I mean, fuck, I've only been a bodybuilder for fucking 10 months, you know? I've only been working on these poses for 10 months. These guys have been doing this shit for fucking 15 years. There's a big difference between a guy who can grab a pose and without looking in the mirror, know that he has his body in the right position to appease the judges versus me. I'm fucking posing in front of a mirror and I'm twisting and turning and tweaking to get that certain look. You take the mirror away and I'm guessing, you know? And so there's no question I got really, really exposed. So the bottom line is when it was over, I was actually, you know, pretty fucking happy with fifth. But, you know, just like you said, going into that motherfucker, I had no plans of, of doing anything other than winning. But that's the mentality you got to have if you're going to fucking start bulldozing through these different athletic avenues. You know what I mean? So now it's a different fucking deal because now I got to actually stand next to the guys. It's not just me looking at pictures. Let me tell you what I tell you. You look at a bodybuilding magazine, the fucking pictures are impressive. But when you actually see, you know, these guys, you know, that are in shape, ready to go, because you, you basically create a look for that day, period. You don't look the same the day before. You don't look the same the day after, right? It is fucking pretty crazy. It's de definitely different than what you see in the magazine picture. So, you know, now that I actually have seen it in person, know what I got to do, it's a whole different ball. So I'm, this my sophomore season is going to be different for sure. You know, I know right now, <clears throat> um, this Saturday marks two weeks out from my from my first show of this year. I would say two weeks ago, so I was four weeks out, I would have whipped the shit out of myself last year. So, I mean, still with four weeks to go, I was better than I was at my best last year. And that's the beautiful thing. And my, like my coach tells me that I'm going to be making these quantum fucking leaps forward because this is all new. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The goal here is to get on that fucking Olympia stage. If I get on Olympia stage my sophomore season, that's pretty fucking hot. You know, once you're there, 
you're top 15 in the world, even if you place fucking last, you know? No, that's great, man. What, uh, what, uh, what's your body weight? Uh, like, what, what do you hope to step on stage at? I'm about 275 right now. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so, I'm guessing that. Oh, I, I don't know if people are listening, but uh, you're, you say you're just over six feet tall, 275. Like, that's, that's fucking massive because, uh, I mean, like, fuck, like, what was, like, at the biggest, like, what was Ronnie Coleman and those guys? Like, uh, like Dorian Yates and those dudes were not too, they were, I mean, they were close, maybe, 260. Well, Ronnie actually has the heaviest win at Olympia ever. And it was fucking crazy big. That would be 296, if you can believe that. Dude, well, That's, no, I, he's fucking massive. Yeah, I mean, you almost got to take Ronnie out of the equation because nobody quite understood how he did what he did. <laughs> but <clears throat> the long and short of it, even at the elite level, if you're 250 plus, you're a fucking monster. Yeah. So last year I came in, I was 64. And so – that was part of the issues as, as not having experience. I never really knew where I needed to end up being. My coach is like, there's a lot of guesswork here. We don't have, you know, 15 shows to compare. You know, we're just, we're just going down trying to find the right spot. So basically my plan is to come in right again about 64, maybe just a few pounds less, but – that the fact that I'm so much fuller and rounder is going to give me a whole different deal. I'm going to be in better shape. I mean, like right now, uh, the, the term on your back is called Christmas tree. When all your body fat goes away, you actually see where the lats insert. You know, I've had that fucking Christmas tree, you know, it's been fucking widely visible for the last fucking Jesus Christ. I mean, it didn't come in last time until three weeks out. It's been in for probably eight weeks this time. So, I mean, I am so much leaner, so much rounder, so much fuller. It, I'm going to be a totally different athlete. And then one of the biggest things that they told me was that, you know, cause all the strength training thickened up my waist pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. You know? And so they said that, you know, I've got the shoulders to offset it and the back to offset it, but any, any progress that I can make on bringing my waistline down is going to really, really help because it's going to give me a better illusion. And my, I have, I mean, I made, I cracked a plan to do so, which I love because I mean, problem solving is all about fucking that's deep water to the team. And you got a fucking problem. You find a way to work it out and kick ass anyway. So my waistline is so much more fucking uh, streamlined this time. It's, it's going to be good, man. I'm excited. It's awesome, dude. Well, no, I'm, I'm stoked to fucking see it now. Yeah. That's – no, well, I mean, it's – um, you know, like uh, the bodybuilding thing has always been kind of uh, like confusing in a lot of ways to me because um, there's no athleticism about it. I mean, it's basically like you're standing up there in static poses and what fucking sucks is that it's somebody's objective or maybe fucking bias in like them viewing you. Yeah, and then them judging you based on that in comparison to other people. So, like in a way, like I, you know, I like for me, I like fucking wins and losses. I like, you know, did I do it? Did I get the lift? Did I win? And I think that's easier. And like, sounds like your same mentality, which fucking one hundred percent. So now you're going into something that's completely fucking subjective. Yeah, like the competition uh, forced to live in the gray. uh, Well, it's. (laughs) 
it's fucking weird. Like, because you're like, dude, like, like, uh, like it's like, yeah, it, I, like, I, uh, is that hard for you to fucking like with as black and white as you are? And now, like you said, go over to this thing that's so subjective where you're like, Hey, like, uh, like, you know, it's, and I don't know who the fucking judges are, but like them, obviously, like up there with their little clipboards deciding who's the winner, who's the loser. And I'll tell you this, like I, I went to a bodybuilding show. I used to train with two bodybuilder guys uh, when I moved back to California because they were only dudes that were pretty fucking strong at the gym. And uh, I went to their bodybuilding show, and I couldn't tell you the difference between the first and the fucking last guy. Yeah. They all looked fucking jacked. They were all fucking tan. Um, you know, they all smelled fucking terrible like their breath was toxic. <laughs> Because, you know, they probably are so carb-depleted and fucking water-depleted. I mean, they all look like they were walking around like they were about to go into a full-body cramp. And um, <laughs> I couldn't tell the fucking difference. So, like, I think, like, that's what always fucking tripped me about the bodybuilding is, like, and for you having fucking been a strong man and, like, done, like, you know, all, like, been a strength athlete all your life, like, fuck, is that hard? Like, uh, like, how do you manipulate uh, it? Is it just one of the one of the principles of, of deep water, which plays perfectly into what we're talking about, <clears throat> is this laser beam focus. And in order to really execute the laser beam focus, one of the rules that you have to live by is you have to remove any thought or any. You cannot waste an ounce of energy on something that you cannot control because that's giving away your efforts. You know, you got to take your efforts. you got to channel it into something you can control. So what we're discussing, I don't like one fucking bit, but I have. So you don't worry about it. I have zero ability to control it, so I just, I don't even fucking think about it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. The uh, uh, I'm kind of interested a little bit, like, um, you know, Early in our in our talk, you talked about finding tuna fish, and like that was your fucking protein. Uh, I listened to your Mark Bell stuff and was fucking dying. Like, is it true you eat like five, six, seven hundred grams of protein a day? Do you still eat like that? Oh yeah, that, the so, protein never changes, man. <clears throat> I mean, like for the most part, like like right now, as I'm getting closer, of course, I have to reduce my overall calorie cap, but. For the most part, my protein is going to exist between 500 and 700, period. It, it never, ever moves from there. 500 grams is about the lowest I'm going to get for this. <clears throat> All I have to do is remove uh, – see, the beautiful thing, one of the things with deep water that makes it effective is simplicity. You put a whole bunch of fucking variables on the table, you don't know what's working and what's not. Sure. So my diet is simple. You take the carbohydrates out of play, all I have to do – is fucking manipulate fat to go up or down. You know, so I basically, 700 grams of protein, I cry, I, that's my normal set deal. And then I start pulling out fat to, to go down, to lose, to lose my own body fat. And then once I get to the point where there's no more fat to take out, I'm forced to start pulling protein out, and that's where I am. So, I mean, right now, I am So how many grams of carbs are you eating? I don't eat carbohydrates, ever. So I mean, to eat it's a. So you're, so you're a pure ketogenic diet guy. Yeah, I mean, you keep in mind, as as you probably heard if you've listened to other podcasts like Bell's, I'll mention what I call unintentionally digested carbohydrates. Like a couple tablespoons of peanut butter has got two three grams in it. You can't get that shit out of there. Sure. 
carbs are everywhere in minuscule little amounts. Sure. The difference is, are you truly, truly trying to avoid them? I mean, you can get the peanut butter that's got 10 fucking grams for, for a fucking serving, or you can get the one that's got two. That's the lowest, and you fuck it. That's, here again, cannot control that motherfucker, you know? But right now, my diet is fucking boneless, skinless chicken breasts and fucking green, starchless vegetables. Mm, delicious. Yeah. That sounds so tasty. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, wait, uh... So, had you ever eaten carbs? Well, back when, remember we were talking about when I stumbled across the tuna fish, right? So, when I start fucking, you know, when I when I go into my over-the-top mode, and I start fucking pounding down the protein, I'm worried about getting as much protein as I can. I don't give a shit about, you know, the carbohydrate is in the way, you know? So, I mean, ultimately, carbohydrate for me kind of eliminated itself because... Yeah. I want, well, you can't eat carbs if you're eating 700 grams of protein a day. And that's what I, see, that's what I tell people. If you truly yeah. focus on protein, you're not going to have fucking much room for what? for carbs. Well, well, that and also, uh, you know, uh, gluconeogenesis. I mean, your body's going to convert protein to, to fucking glucose anyway, so it's not that big a deal. And that's, that's a killer point that you brought up because it wasn't – we haven't known that in like a rock-solid fact forever. And so there was a time when there – part of the argument to my philosophy was that I was just wasting protein or weight. And I was like, no, there's no fucking way. My body is burning this shit. It's not easy, but it's doing it. Well, uh, you can, I firmly believe that you can teach your body to absorb more protein over time. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the idea that I have is that actually the bigger you are, the taller you are, the longer your small intestine is, the more protein you can absorb. So like that was like, you know, um, uh, the Barry Sears where it's like, oh, you can only absorb 30 grams of protein at a meal. And I'm like, dude, you're full of shit. I'm like, dude, I've, I, I've, I've eaten five, 600 grams of protein you know, a day. The thing that fucking kills me is these people that try to make these fucking blanket statements because oh, right away when someone does that, it tells me they're dumb as a motherfucker. Because- well, well, well the, the thing that like most people are basing it on is like, well, yes, for maybe a 135-pound woman who eats, you know, fucking three or four meals a day, maybe 30 grams of protein. But I'm like, dude, wait a minute. Like, uh, like at minimum, one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Like, let's say I weigh 300 pounds, it's 300 grams. I'm like, so what, I'd have to eat 10 fucking meals a day? I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And yeah. on top of it, who the fuck eats 30 grams of protein, dude? If I sit down and eat, like, a two-pound fucking steak. What like, is 30 grams of protein? Uh, that would be roughly four ounces of meat. Yeah, like I don't even want to eat a fucking burger that's four ounces. <laughs> yeah. You know, but like it's it's uh like yeah, I mean it's uh, I, I don't know, dude. I, I I always tell dude the other thing I said is uh you know people fucking go crazy and they talk about Krebs cycle and you need carbohydrate and all that. I'm like, if given the opportunity, you could live forever on fat. Fucking, you could live forever on protein. You can't live on fucking carbs. And you know, like, another thing that I say, brother, fits right into this is. One of the sayings I say to people is don't get fucking lost in the details. Worry about the shit that fucking matters. Who gives a fuck about all these little goofy fucking facts that may or not make a difference? Are you getting your fucking protein and lifting a heavy weight? Shut the fuck up. Eat your protein and stop thinking about the shit that doesn't matter. But isn't that really what what people love? 
It's, it's, it's nothing more than a way for people to fucking create excuses and procrastinate. Sorry about that, fellas. I figured while I was at it, I would switch my drink from my BCAA to my highly, highly... Uh, uh, Bob Saps urine? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a product that it's like this really intense vitamin C. That when I'm dieting down, I drink two of these a day. Jesus. You know, the vitamin C is a lot of benefits that people don't know about, but it's got to be in really, really high uh, absorbable levels, you know? Yeah, no. We, we were just sitting here talking about uh, how many boneless, skinless chicken breasts you have to eat to get 700 grams of protein. Dude, Terry cooks 10 fucking pounds of chicken every fucking day. How do you cook it? Barbecue? Yeah, we got a big fucking queue out on the deck. Um, it's fucking beautiful. I live, I live uh, on, like I said, it's North San Francisco. But I live on the water. It's an inlet off the bay. It's a big fucking barbecue right over the fucking water. It's beautiful. Oh, that's nice. I have a roommate who is trying to get into the bodybuilding thing for a while, and he'd eat four pounds of boiled chicken breast uh, a day. It's so, it's so bad. <laughs> it reminds me of my college. When I was in college, I was trying to put on weight, and I uh, – uh, I like fucking read some bodybuilding magazine and it was like Dorian Yates' pre-contest fucking Olympia diet it was like 18 chicken breasts. I'm like, what well, fucking 18 chicken breasts? And then it was like boiled red potatoes with olive oil and uh, a fucking apple, uh, balsamic vinegar was fucking what I ate. It was fucking terrible. <laughs> uh, oh, and um, like puff rice cereal or some stupid shit in milk. Uh, but dude, uh, the, um, dude, uh, two, two things. Just wanted to like uh, pub the book a little bit. I'll tell you, dude. I um, uh, I haven't read it yet, but I'm fucking excited to read it now. And then the other one is is uh, what's up with Mark Bell's gay infatuation with you, calling you deep cheeks? <laughs> That's a fucking funny story. So, <clears throat> so basically, that came from one of the early podcasts. Um, God, I'm racking my fucking brain to remember how the whole thing played out. I. I don't remember the setup, but basically what it comes down to <clears throat> is I was saying that oh, it was off one of the shit stories. That's what it was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically it was talking. What's up with Mark Bell and, and uh, his infatuation with, uh, with shitting and uh, like fucking nailing dudes in the butt? I don't know. The shitting thing is he told me actually was kind of launched by me because he said, you got any great stories from Japan? And I told this story about fucking almost shitting my pants and missing the fucking toilet or the hole in the ground over there. And the young boy had to fucking clean it up and it just blew up, dude. That's, that podcast was the one where Deep Cheeks came out. So basically I was, you know, we were laughing and going on, but Deep Cheeks comes from the fact that if you're doing your fucking post-tier chain work, that you can fucking, you know, fart or shart and you're you're safe because you got deep cheeks. It's not going to hit. Oh, them. is that what it is? Oh, I thought it had to do something with like him trying to like nail you with a butt or something. Because I, I he's like, oh, he's got deep cheeks. And I was like, like I remember Mark kind of telling me the story, and I was like, you're fucking went off the reservation with this case. Yeah, if you if you didn't follow the the podcast series that we've done, I could totally see where that looks a little strange. <laughs> yeah. I mean. But it's totally cool. I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool. With it. Uh, like, you know, like, it's, it's not a negative. Okay. But uh, so 
John, let's just give me a preview or synopsis of, of the book. Cause I know we're going to, we're giving a bunch of weight to the first few, few hundred people who register to, to get a free download. So to, what can these guys look forward to as they're diving into this thing? And on that level, there's, there's just so in the book, there's some, there's all sorts of great shit. There's diet stuff, there's training programs, but this book was written before I turn my, my energy to bodybuilding. So now I actually have, and there should be a link that'll be with, uh, with you know, somewhere on your website where for 17 bucks a month, you can get a uh, subscription for weekly programming. So it's bodybuilding training with a deep water flare, baby. It's nasty, nasty shit. But, uh, <laughs> so basically deep water, kind of what it does is it's, it's a little bit of a bio. It starts off with, you know, me as the fat little fucker. Um, it kind of goes through my first experience about really, you know, discovering hard work. I almost get fucking run over by a shipping barge. I lived, I was kind of a spoiled and tied little fucker myself, you know. I lived on the water up in Oregon, Willamette River. Beautiful fucking place, you know. Anyway, so I almost got fucking run over by a shipping barge, you know, the process of not getting killed, that's where I kind of have my first light bulb go off. <laughs> and uh, that's, so then from there, it goes into, <clears throat> you know, uh, just more of the story, getting me to where I am. And then it, there's a handful of training stories, which are pretty inspirational. Um, and then it goes into, um, kind of gives you a little bit of a how-to. So it's going to give you uh, dieting guidelines. There's food lists in there. Um, like if you can eat off the food list, thank you, baby. If you can eat off the food list, you can truly eat off that list and nothing else. You're going to get fucking lean, period. I swear to Christ, I've seen it a thousand fucking times. Um, obviously, it's carbohydrate-free list. <laughs> it's amazing. It's very, amazing. very, very few carbs. carbs. You know, they're unintentionally digested carbohydrates. Then it goes. Oh, sneaky carbs. What's that? We call them sneaky carbs. There we go. You got to look up with the sneaky into, carbs. Uh, goes into some of like the some of the crazy lists that I've done because that's always people are always intrigued by that. You know, like you know, fuck four hundred five. I've squatted four hundred five. And keep in mind, this stuff's about spotter, so it's legit. You know, nasty shit. Uh, four hundred five for forty three in one set. Five hundred for twenty six. You know, all that kind of goofy shit. Uh, then it goes into. <clears throat> like challenges to where if you can do this, you get the title of great white or, you know, there's all, it's just kind of fun stuff. And then goes into three different training programs where you've got intermediate or excuse me, beginner, intermediate, advanced. Now the, the, the beginners is really killer because even advanced people get their fucking asses kicked by this because that's some of the stuff that I did. And I thinned it down a little bit because the beginners program was very, very, it was basically a spinoff of what I was doing early on when I was talking about those three, four hour fucking sessions. So like 10 by 10 is a staple for me. You, you fucking load up a squat bar and you fucking push yourself for 10 sets of 10, you are going to be fucked up, you know? Yep. No, we've done that. And then when it gets into from there, you know, it's, it goes into like, uh, you know, fuck one of my one of the crazy fucking deals I did. I cleaned, and you'd appreciate this as a football player. Power clean's a big part of training there. Um, Hundred kilos, which is two hundred twenty pounds, 
for 101 reps straight without rest. Pretty fucking, I mean, that, that was, that probably was one of the most fucking brutal things I've ever done. It was fucking mad. It seemed like it took me fucking weeks. Probably took me 11, 12 minutes. Crazy. <clears throat> but then when I get into the advanced, which is really cool, I really teach you how to get the most out of your training. And this is where we actually get into what I call the portal. Um, it's like you start to recognize these little windows of opportunity to get in deep water. What I'm talking about, people sometimes have moments of this. They don't know what it is. But you ever have that moment where you're doing a set and you're like, fuck, normally 10 of these is hard. I'm at eight and I'm killing it. I could probably do fucking 19 today. Well, the problem is that most people never seize that moment. And they never really try to recreate and they never look for the next opportunity. As to where deep water is all about fucking not only seizing those moments, but creating. And so you have to kind of, it's like looking for a little bit of a needle in a haystack because you can't force it. It's not going to happen on just every training day. <clears throat> but I do, one of the methods that I used to kind of spark the opportunities is in the advanced method where you'll take like, uh, you take, uh, say, a uh, squat. And I'm going to have you go up to a pretty heavy weight, say, you know, a reps five, um, you know, pro into a pretty high percentage. And then you're going to fucking drop down to a, uh, you know, a fairly low percentage, um, you know, 60, 70%. And you're going to fucking go until you can't go anymore. And that's where you start to recognize the portals popping up, you know, and what I, what portal is what I talk with. That's what I reference. It's like a window that you kind of jump through and you go into the deep water world and you're able to do things that you can't do on the other side of the portal. And so once you get in the advanced program, you'll see that was the method that I used to really, really find myself. Because, I mean, you can live deep water day to day, but if you really, really want the benefits of what I'm doing here, you have to fucking learn to get through that portal and do something. I mean, literally, some of these experiences fucking changed my life. I mean, it's like you you push yourself. You get in that place where you don't fucking feel the pain, even though you can't breathe. You feel like you're breathing fine, and all of a sudden, you just kind of fucking can't stand up with the weight, and that's it. But what you've done is fucking so far off the charts of what you've ever done before. That's what it's all about. Now you're fucking carving out a new path. You're basically doing something that's, you know, it's, it's, that's what deep water is all about, baby. It's about fucking moving forward hard and fast. Hence my three careers, man. I mean, I didn't spend fucking forever rolling around in the fucking the, the gutters of these fucking things. I went from being an unknown to international and international recognizing all three of these motherfuckers in less than fucking a year. You know, so, I mean, that's, I think the longest it took me to go from first contest to internationally recognized was nine months, you know, so, and it has everything to do with deep water, being able to move forward in a way that people just can't or don't understand how to do. So, and a lot of luck. 
you sound like kind of a lucky guy, so I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of luck in there. <laughs> You're like, luck ain't got nothing to fucking do with it, motherfucker. You know, honestly, if I was fucking your luck. If I was lucky, I'd have been fucking six seven. I'd have been playing next to you on the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I just happened to grow kind of tall, so I was. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's funny, dude. People ask me all the time. I, I had a guy years ago when I owned a commercial gym hit me up and be like, "Hey, if I uh, were to come and start paying you now, I think there's a good chance you could like guarantee that my kid would be able to get a scholarship and maybe get a chance to play in the NFL." And I was like looking at this dude, and I was like, "How tall is your wife?" And he was like, oh, I'm like 5'5". Five, five. I'm like, because you're like 5'7". I'm like... Not much here. I was like, yeah, man. I'm like, uh, I was like, dude, like, uh, NFL players aren't fucking made, dude. They're fucking born. I'm like... The NFL, you've got to start with a fucking set of tools that, I mean, if you don't have them, there's nowhere to go. It's, uh, it's competitive like that. And, and I was like, and even to be a white dude, it's even fucking way less. What's <laughs> out there. And a smart white dude on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, there's no question that, you know, uh, you know, deep water was going back to the beginning for me. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have any of that shit. I'm completely fucking self-made and it was all about me developing this fucking intensely fucking, uh, productive system, which takes a lot of mental fortitude. And if you can actually adapt to it, you will be mentally stronger and you know what, what people in my facility say, and keep in mind, I, there's, there's different threads of deep water in there, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's truthfully not for everybody. I mean, there are pieces of it that'll work for everybody. <clears throat> but the bottom line is this, even in the stuff that's not straight, that it's just bites off of deep water in the training, everybody there says, after, say, three months of being there, says, you know, what I used to thought, what I things that used to be difficult are fucking easy now, and that's that's really what that's the start right there, because once you start to recognize that you can create a bigger, stronger existence, who the fuck doesn't want to push that anymore? You know? Sure, sure. No, so, I'm fucking with you, dude. I mean, it's uh, it's fucking awesome and refreshing. And uh, dude, this was fucking really yeah, uh, great show, man. Yeah, this is pretty amazing. I mean, dude, yeah, I'd love to shit. Uh, you know, hopefully we get a chance. To, I'd love to meet up in person at some point, whether we come up north or shit. You know, have you come down here? Or yeah, come down here. I fucking love to be able to grill up about a hundred ounces of fucking steak and see how <laughs> through it. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you, most of the time I'm a red meat eater, but you know what? I'm fucking dieting shits and fucking white boneless, skinless shit. I, what I do for a fucking a big old pound steak right now, Jesus. Christ. <laughs> I was gonna say, dude, I fucking hate chicken with like the fucking fury of a thousand suns. Like, like Joe, uh, Luke and I joke here. We're like, you know what's better than chicken? Probably some dirt. Dirt. Yeah. Dirt's slightly better than chicken. Like it's you know worse. So I, I I know what you're saying, man. Like if given the opportunity, I fucking hate chicken. Oh yeah. Where oh, it, it fits into your uh, it fits into your into contest. Bowl, man. You got to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's no option here. I, I, there's, I can't stress there was something I can't control. Yeah. You know? No, I, why, why should you? I'm, I'm just, uh, I, uh, like, and, and this this is just kind of an interesting fucking observation. I've, uh, you know, I used to train with these bodybuilder dudes, and uh, I've met fucking dudes that were jacked that ate a high-carb diet, low-fat, low-protein. I met dudes that were jacked that ate no fucking carbs, high-protein. I mean, every fucking diet on the planet and they were all fucking jacked and able to step on stage and be uh, successful bodybuilders. 
it seems like, um, you know, finding what works for you is really yeah. you know, the, the hardest thing. And like, you know, and like uh, the shit that kills me is everybody fucking like puts up like, Oh, the, this is what you need to do. And you're like, well, this is what worked for you as an individual. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a big part of this shit is figuring out what fucking works for you. I mean, uh, for me personally, like, uh, I don't feel real good on a super high carb diet. Like I fucking try to eat them and I just get fucking tired. Um, yeah. feel, you know, and, and the other thing I fucking hate is I hate the feeling of full. Like I don't like to overeat at meals, um, unless I'm going to go to bed in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so like, you know, like sitting down and eating like a 2000 calorie meal fucking like, I, you know, but yet I know other dudes that can fucking crush massive amounts of food at, at like one sitting and be fine. Like it kills my training. So I mean, yeah. like, I, like we train in the morning, and I, I don't eat before I train because if I eat, I, I fucking feel sick. Yeah. But, yeah. But I mean, I also played every NFL game of my career hungry. Like I wouldn't eat really before a game because I wanted to feel like lucid and hungry and fucking like yeah. energy. You know, I'm pissed off, man. Give me yeah. some eat, goddammit. Yeah. And but but yeah, dude, I played <laughs> with guys. Cross and he's holding a fucking cheeseburger. <laughs> Well, well, dude, I, I used to play with guys that would eat a monster breakfast and then fucking bring in, like, three fucking containers and would be eating before the fucking game. And I was like, what the fuck are you guys eating? They're like, you don't get hungry? I'm like, no. That's exactly what you're saying. Everybody's so fucking different, man. Yeah. So, no, I mean, dude, you just have to be fucked, dude. You found a, uh, a fucking great stride. But the one thing that's interesting and, and fucking universal is the mindset. The yeah. idea that, uh, you know, people create their own fucking prisons. And, uh, you know, like, like over the years since I've learned, I'm like, dude, you are your fucking warden. You're your own prisoner. I didn't fucking know they're living it. Well, well, well that, but what's crazy is, is you decide how big your walls are. You decide if there are walls and you decide where the prison is. Yes. I meet people all the time with these fucking obstacles. And I'm like, dude, you're creating your own fucking prison, man. Don't create this shit and don't limit yourself, whether it be because of fucking self-doubt, laziness, whatever, just, just fucking go. And, like, you know what, like, um, you know, fuck, like, Luke would be the first one to tell you around here. I'm like, hey, fuck it, dude. We, we don't always know where we're going, but we're going to go there 100 miles an hour. And, like, all the time we get in the car and, like, get in the car, like, let's go to lunch. We're fucking driving as fast as we can. We don't know where we're fucking going, but we're going to find something soon. <laughs> and it sounds like, uh, you know, for you especially, you know, uh, you kind of were able to fight out of, a, you know, a negative place. Like you said, battle dyslexia, fucking, you know, eating disorder all these other things and figured out what lane worked for you, dude. And it's, you're fucking crushing it, dude. And it's always, uh, at least for me, amazing to connect with people that are so good at what they do and, uh, fucking, you know, basically set the trend. And that's awesome, dude. So I'm stoked to, to get a chance to talk to you and hopefully get to meet up in person. Thank you, brother. I feel the same way, dude. It's, it's fun to share, you know, it's, it's of course it's fun to share my way, but it's even more fun to share with someone who has made it to the top, in another venue, you know what I mean? You're, you've been at the top, the top, the top, you know what I mean? But I've been, I've been banging around in, in professional careers, if you are, but they're all three of them put together. is not an NFL career of 10 years. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, well, thank you. Yeah, it was a fun deal. And, uh, uh, you know, sadly, uh, when I was doing the job, all my friends played in the NFL. So, like, it doesn't really seem like a big deal. Like, I know it sounds fucking weird, but, like, all my friends did it, so you just figured everybody does it, and you kind of live in that clique, and it wasn't until I retired and got out and looked around where I was like, oh, shit, this thing's kind of a big deal. And I'm like, and people are yeah. about it, you know, but it's... That's um, what you got to be, man. When you, get, you can't sit there and be fucking starstruck when you're fucking doing that. Jesus Christ, you got to be... It's just this day, it's another day in the office, goddammit. Yeah, and, you know, and the, the biggest one is... Uh, 
you know, and I'm sure fucking you too, like, uh, you know, you sound like the type of guy, like, you don't like to lose, you know, and I used to run into guys all the time, but, like, I'm not going out here fucking just to get dressed up for nothing. I'm not going out here to, like, put on a good show. I'm either going out here to fucking win or I try, and then if I can't fucking play at the level, then I'm not going to fucking do it. I'll go do something else. Yeah. Like, uh, it sounds like the same thing. I mean, I, I always hated seeing, like, the Brent Favre fucking wheel him out for one more season, and he's the shell of who he used to be. And I was like, yeah. hey, fucking – don't yeah, do that to me. Like, fucking hang up the cleats, baby. Yeah. 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 Like, like you either fucking win the Super Bowl, and like n- nobody wants to see the fucking old guy and get it tarnished. Fucking go out like a fucking champ and walk away, you know, which is what I'm stoked Peyton Manning did. He fucking he won the yeah. Super Bowl. And he's like, I probably, you know, he fucking mm-hmm. run off in the sunset. And you're like, go do something else now. Now, now go run your 100 Papa Johns. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I, we share that view 100%. That's obviously why when. <laughs> one career has come to an end, I've dove into another one, you know, and, and when the time comes that I can't fucking get to a, you know, international platform, that's it. It's fucking, it's game's you're over. Gonna, you're going to have to hang up those skimpy fucking, uh, uh, fucking bikini underwear. You know, you know, the fucking joke is, is that my, and my, as my career moves forward, I'm fucking losing clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you went from like, Boots and or, or uh, strongman, and then you went to like boots and like wrestling trunks, and now you're wearing like yeah, strongman. You're fucking covered in Ray Bans, keeping yourself protected. Then fucking wrestling, you traded in for knee high leather fucking boots and a speedo. Now all I got is a fucking like a skimpy cut speedo for Christ's sake, you know? <laughs> oh, dude, what uh, what color speedo you rock? Usually, I just dark colors. Yeah. You know? Because if you look, even like now, you put me in something fucking white, I look like I'm fucking homeless because I spill shit. I'm not a fuck. I mean, I'm, I take showers, I'm clean, but I'm messy. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah. And I eat fucking, Jesus Christ. You know, I'm always spilling something on me when I'm eating, you know? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling bad that we've kept you this long on the podcast because I know you missed about three fucking meals. I'm starving, dude. My meal's sitting dude, I- I can see you, like, looking around. So, yeah, we'll cut it here. I, I don't want to be the fucking catalyst to, to miss you, you know, at least one gram of protein. <laughs> Thanks again, amigo, dude. Fucking best of luck to you, and uh, fuck you. We'll meet up soon. Yeah, we'll see you, Alice. Thank you for your time. you good. See you, Yeah. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Don't forget to sign up to receive your free copy of Deep Water by John Anderson. All you have to do is head to www.powerathletehq.com and look for this episode's blog post. In it, you'll find a short form for the first 5,000 listeners, but be sure to hurry because this generous offer is going fast. John has even carved out his space among the great training systems on Train Heroic, our programming platform of choice. To find it, simply search Deep Water or follow the link found on this episode's blog post. Finally, you can find all things John Anderson at www.john-anderson.com. That's A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N.com. Until next time, bye!